Our good friend Tracy Rogers is going to speak with us this morning, and uh, her and Kevin are dear friends of ours, and uh, we are, I'm a little biased, we're, they're in our small group, and so we spend a lot of time together, but uh, this is, I think, Tracy's third time to, to lead us and teach us uh, here at Conduit, and so would you welcome her this morning as she teaches? Thank you, Mel. Well, good morning. I'm pleased to see each of you today. I'm delighted about continuing our study on the book of Mark. I'll go ahead and invite you to turn to Mark chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 24. Whenever I've had the opportunity to speak uh, for people, I usually get hit with a couple of questions after. One of them is, where are you from? And so I'm actually born and raised in East Tennessee, and so I have been in Tennessee all my life, but it is a subtly different accent, and you're going to notice it throughout the talk today, so just giving you a heads up there. The other thing people will ask me is, how does she walk in those shoes? And I'll just tell you, I, I love my shoes, and if I'm not barefoot, I'm usually wearing six-foot heels or six-inch heels. If I could wear a six-foot heel, I'd wear that too, but six-inch heels. But I got my first pair of high-heeled shoes when I was in the fifth grade. Um, it was Easter, and we, you buy a new outfit, and you get new shoes to match for Easter. And typically, you would have bought white patent leather shoes um, for an, an Easter dress, but they had these black patent leather high-heeled shoes that were on sale, and I convinced my mom that I had to have those shoes, and she bought them for me. So I've been wearing heels ever since the fifth grade. So how do I walk in these shoes? Years of practice, years of practice. That's how I walk in these. So hopefully you found Mark chapter seven. It's also on the screen behind you. I'll read it for us now. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Again, he went out from the region to, of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is in our midst. I pray for open Uh, hearts, open minds. 
I pray, Spirit, you would reveal to each person this message. And I would pray we would listen to you as you speak. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Want to get away? Those three words are the marketing campaign of Southwest Airlines. They have come up with all of these commercials that show people in very embarrassing or awkward situations, and they really just want to leave where they are. Southwest is saying, sometimes it's not about where you're going, it's about leaving where you are. I admit I have had my share of wanna get away moments. Uh, when I was in college, I was in a friend's dorm room and we were just talking through some homework that we had. And then a knock came to her door and it was another girl that I didn't know, but she starts complaining about a guy who isn't letting her copy his notes from class. And so at least when I was in school, that's common. You missed a class, you could just call up somebody and they would let you copy their notes and then you would just get right back on track with everything else. Well, she's just upset, like he won't let her. She doesn't understand why. I don't know this girl. I don't know what she's talking about, but I decide I'm gonna interject into this conversation. So I asked her, What's his major? And she said, double E. Double E in the College of Engineering is electrical engineering. And I said, oh, that explains it. Double E's are all weird. And she said, I'm a double E. <laughs> and I wanted to get away. And I'll be honest, I kind of want to get away right now because there's probably a double E in this room. And so I'm sorry if I've also offended you there. I was, that was over 20 years ago. I was a foolish teenager at that time. But I'm simply saying that because we actually see here that Jesus wants to get away. In fact, some of your Bibles might even have in there like Jesus goes on retreat or maybe even Jesus on vacation. He isn't so much trying to go somewhere for ministry, we get the impression he needs a break. We understand that he would need that. The scripture tells us he goes to, uh, he leaves the Jewish region and he goes into the region of Tyre. This is a predominantly Gentile part of the area. And we're not told that he's actually going there for any purpose other than for rest. Matthew's gospel has the same story in it and offers some detail that's helpful in understanding this situation. We learn by harmonizing the gospels that Jesus isn't alone. He has his disciples with him. And I don't think it's hard for any of us to believe that they needed a break. It's these small little revelations in scripture that I've really come to savor. When I read something like, Jesus went away and wanted no one to know it, give me great encouragement when I feel like I need my own retreat and I need some time alone. It's not the topic of the sermon, I'm just offering that to you if you feel guilty for wanting to get away. Jesus goes to Tyre. Tyre was a Phoenician seaport. It's predominantly a Gentile community, but because it's a port city, it would have been a very diverse city. Hashtag Toby Mac, I couldn't resist. <laughs> a diverse city in every way. It, ethic, ethnically, I can't say that word, economically, politically, and culturally. We read that Jesus goes into a home, so we also have to conclude there are um, Jews who are living in the area, and that would have been the house he would have stayed at. 
there also were people in this area who would have heard Jesus before. When you read through the book of Mark, and we know that crowds would assemble to hear him, we're told in Mark chapter three, verses seven and eight, a great multitude from Galilee followed him, those from Tyre and Sidon. So people from this area knew who Jesus was. While he's there, a woman comes to him. We don't know if she had seen him before or if she had actually heard him, but she knows who Jesus is and she does all she can to find him. I'm gonna be really honest. I didn't like this story. I never did. It, Jesus uses a phrase in here saying, dogs. And it sounds like he's insulting her. It sounds like he's being rude to her. In fact, if you were to read through what scholars say, there are scholars who say, this is a derogatory term. This is an insult remark. I don't know the, the details of the language. I don't know the culture. I don't know the history. But I know Jesus. And I know Jesus would not have said something cruel to her. Not to a woman who comes to him, falls at his feet, calls him Lord and asks for healing. He would not have been cruel to her. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's unpack this together. So we see, oh, pardon me. I may not know the original language, like I said, but I know Jesus. So this is the account that's written in Mark but it's also an exchange that's written in Matthew and we have to understand Matthew's gospel so that we have a fuller understanding of what's actually happening here. So perhaps you can turn to Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. I'll read it for you. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, O oh woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Jesus and his disciples are together. And this woman is calling out for a healing for her daughter. We really don't know much about her, only that she is a desperate woman who knows the power of Jesus and will do whatever it takes to get to the healer. There is a little bit of irony to the story. Jesus is going to tire He's an outsider in this region, but now he's approached by a woman. This kind of interaction would not have been appropriate. He's Jewish, she's a Gentile. He's a man, she's a woman. She approaches him and she's asking him to help her. She's not wanting to serve him or help him. It doesn't matter to her. She's a desperate woman who is trying to get to the healer for her daughter and she doesn't care what society says. She's going to do whatever it takes to get the healing. So she finds Jesus and we notice what he does. 
Matthew 15, 23 says, he did not answer her a word. She got nothing. Jesus' silence didn't stop her. And in fact, she continued to the point that the disciples appealed to Jesus to do something. Would you just acknowledge her? Jesus is silent. But he looks to his disciples and he says his mission. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is the part of the account that we have to understand that Jesus came to the earth with a mission from God and that is what it is all about. When he sent the disciples in pairs, he sent them off to do ministry after they had worked with him for a while. He sends them off and he tells them, don't go to the Gentiles, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He uses the very same phrase. What's interesting is that we recall Jesus' prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. He's on his knees praying to the Father, not my will, but yours be done, which is really a fascinating prayer that shows us that, there's, that Jesus wants to do something that's different from the will of the Father, but he understands obedience to the Father is the most important thing. So the woman is a Gentile, and Jesus is the Messiah to Israel. And that is where his miracles are to be conducted. That is whom his teachings are for. Those are the people that he came to save. The plan was the same. Same from the time of Abraham. God will bless his people. They will bless others. They will all come to know God. It's the same mission. It's when Jesus comes. Comes to Israel first. So what it seems like is that the disciples have asked Jesus, just heal the daughter. Just do it and send her home. But to Jesus, it's not that easy. It's like he's looking at the disciples and he's saying, but what I have isn't permitted for her. She falls at his feet. And then he says to her, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Are there any women here? Are there women here today? Oh, there are women here today. Okay, that's what I thought. It's uncomfortable, especially to you, especially to the women in the room. It's uncomfortable. But there are scholars who look at this as more than a derogatory phrase. They think that it may have been a proverb or just like a common phrase that would have been used in conversation, that really it's not as insulting as it appears, um, that it's more of a house pet. Your Bibles may have had translated little dogs. I believe there's some translations that might even say puppies. So they're talking about a house pet, not a mangy mongrel that's scavenging the wilderness. And we have phrases like this in our culture. Charles Barkley is an NBA Hall of Famer. He's uh, an NBA, a basketball commentator but he's also known for having one of the worst golf swings that you could ever have. It's terrible. That's my Charles Barkley impression. My Charles Barkley impression is terrible, but he's tried to improve it. Uh, he's, he's had golf lessons. There was even like a Hank Haney show and he went to Hank Haney and took golf lessons from him. And it's like, he's trying to improve it and he's trying to get a better golf game, but it's like he can't unlearn all of the bad mechanics that he's put together. And so you would look at someone like that and I could say, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. 
And no one's offended that I've said that. You know exactly what we mean. It's just a common phrase that we're using to describe a situation. That may have been what she heard. It's also possible that it was a cultural proverb that Jesus is saying something that only rabbis would have said, or maybe it's only spoken in Jewish communities. And so maybe Jesus is thinking, I'm gonna answer her, but she might not really understand what I'm saying. And so in a sense, we could think his answer is like a parable. An answer, but it has a hidden meaning. Jesus' use of parables is actually quite interesting to me. We understand that he would speak to large crowds. Um, he's teaching them, Mark chapter four, he's teaching them many things in parables. And then the scripture reveals that after he would teach the crowd, then he would go to his disciples and take the 12, those who were closest to him, and he would tell them what it meant. And so the scripture tells, Mark chapter four, verses 10 and 11, as soon as he was alone, his followers along with the 12 began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. And so there was also this common phrase, like after Jesus would tell a parable, then he would make this announcement to the crowd. He who has ears to hear, let him hear which is telling the crowd, there's more to this story than what I have told you, but it's up to you to figure it out. I'm gonna let you try to understand the deeper meaning in this story. And so it's actually like for me, it reminds me of watching Lord of the Rings. I watched Lord of the Rings before, but as our kids are getting older, we're starting to rewatch like classic, modern day classics with them. So we turn Lord of the Rings on and we're not five minutes into it. And uh, we realize I can't understand what anybody's saying. And I'd seen it before. And I know, I know the story. Like I know what's gonna happen. I understand the plot. But we really had no idea the dialogue that was actually happening. So we turned the closed caption on and it was like, whoa, I feel like I know so much more now. Like I knew the story, but now I was really getting like subtext and subplots and all of this other stuff that was going on. And I'd completely missed it before. So that's kind of like the parables. That's how I see it. Because people may not have completely understood what Jesus was saying, but they still showed up. They still wanted to hear. So it's a hidden meaning. And I think it's interesting too that Jesus will allow some confusion. He, he was okay with the crowds not actually understanding everything he did or everything he said. And you can chew on that for a while. That's not part of the sermon either, but that's some good stuff that you can think about later. So he would interpret to his disciples and if someone on the outside figured it out, great. Bonus. So with that in mind, maybe in Jesus' mind, his answer to her is the gentlest way that he can tell her no. It's an answer of no, but maybe she won't understand it and she'll just go. We read this and we understand that Jesus cannot come to her daughter because his mission is to come and teach and heal and save the Jews. That's the mission from the Father. And obedience to him is more important than anything else. 
It's nuanced. But really, he's not exactly telling her no. He's telling her to wait. Waiting was not unknown to the children of Israel. It was part of their life. They would spend years in captivity waiting for freedom. They spent times waiting for rain. They waited for harvest. They waited for children. Waiting was just part of their life. The Psalms have prayers of waiting throughout. And then Jesus comes. And the closest thing we have to Jesus telling people to wait is just that he's not in a hurry. He's just strolling where he goes. We actually just saw this a few weeks ago when he's going to see Jairus' daughter. He just kind of walks there instead of running there like Jairus would have wanted. That's waiting on Jesus in real life. In fact, if you were to just do a, a scan of a concordance and you look up the word wait or waiting or waited, it's not in the gospels. If it is, it's like, I'm waiting on you. I'm serving you. He, he just didn't say wait. It just wasn't happening. He didn't tell people to wait until now. Was anybody waiting on God for something? We have a woman who's in a desperate situation. She knows Jesus has the power. She knows he has the authority and she's just asked him for help and he told her to wait. The scriptures reveal miracles of Jesus. You've heard the teaching before that it's not the miracle isn't the thing, it's actually just proving the thing. It was really um, used to reveal who Jesus was and reveal his power, reveal his authority. So when Jesus would heal, he would make a connection between healing and forgiveness. And so he would say that the physical healing meant that the spiritual healing has happened as well. The physical proved the spiritual. You're forgiven and you're saved and that's proof by your physical healing. That is Messiah to the Jews. The Messiah comes to bring healing and those mir miracles of physical healing were showing that the spiritual healing that God had promised, giving them that heart of flesh, that that was coming. And now it was the time for personal repentance and personal forgiveness. Isaiah 35, verses four and five. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the death unstopped. And then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. But here, entire, Jesus is on vacation. And these are not the people that he's called to save or serve. They have to wait. When you look at the progression of Jesus' ministry, you see that there is an invitation to the Gentiles, but it doesn't come until after his death, resurrection, and ascension. We heard Darren last week mention Peter's vision of, of the food coming down from heaven. He called it the pigs in a blanket, which I'm like, loving every part of that, like, yes, please, pigs in a blanket. So he, Peter sees that vision and then has some encounters and he begins to understand, hey, this is for the Gentiles. It's actually recorded in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter said, 
I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And then moving on, Acts eleven eighteen says, they glorified God saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So salvation came to the Gentiles at that time. When we read Mark, when we read the Gospels, in Jesus' earthly ministry, salvation comes for the Jews. The physical healing proves the spiritual. The spiritual hadn't come to the Gentiles, not yet. They were told to wait. But honestly, I don't think she understands all of that. And really, the disciples don't either. But what she does know is that the smallest blessing from Jesus would be enough to heal her daughter. So she retorts, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Now she calls him Lord. The word here for Lord is kurios, which comes from the Greek word for authority. And so this is transliterated Lord, but it means like I recognize you have authority. As a point of interest, when you're looking through the Gospel of Mark, it's the first time Mark records anyone calling Jesus Lord, and it's a Gentile woman. We also understand that Mark is written as the eyewitness account from Peter. So Peter walked with Jesus. He tells Mark. Mark writes it down. Now, we don't have this in Mark's Gospel, but we learned a couple of weeks ago that in Matthew when Jesus walked on the water, that Peter was in that boat. And Peter said, Lord, if you were to call me to come out on that water, I could walk. And Jesus says, come on. And he did it. But Lord, that Peter said, is the same word. It's kurios. And so I think if, if I were Peter, Peter walked with Jesus. He saw everything he did. He heard all of his teaching. He saw him heal and he knew he had authority over sickness. He saw him resurrect from the dead. He saw he had authority over death. He saw him calm the storms. He knew he had authority over creation. He saw him forgive. He knew he was the authority as God. But I think Peter is like in this moment and he sees a woman and she falls at his feet and calls him Lord and he's like, she didn't doesn't even know him, but she knows him. And her answer surprises Jesus, if that's even possible. Why? Because if this was a parable, if you're tracking with me that it was an answer with a hidden meaning, it didn't go over her head. She had ears to hear, and she heard it. Her answer to him doesn't mean that she's asking him to do anything outside of his mission. She's not demanding to be treated as part of Israel. She doesn't expect him to give to her as he gives to his own. She understands her place and her time hasn't come yet, but she also understands that there's still something that he can give and she somehow supernaturally knows that God gives so abundantly to his own that there is always an overflow. She's asking for leftovers. Here's what's interesting. I don't know if she knew about it or not, but literally just the chapter two before, Jesus feeds 5,000. 
And he fed them until they were full and fully satisfied. And then he looks at his disciples and says, I want you to collect what's left over. 12 baskets of bread are left over. And I don't know if she knew about this or not, but it's like she's coming to Jesus and she's saying, hey, I know you fed them and I know they're full and they're all satisfied and they ate first and that's fine, but there's 12 baskets over there. That's what I want. Who's getting that? Here's what I want you to see. Those of you who are waiting, it it isn't time for whatever reason but God just hasn't brought forth what he's promised you or, or, or taking you through. But that doesn't mean that he is leaving you in a drought or to live in silence or that he's leaving you on a treadmill until the time comes. I want you to know there's blessings for you while you wait. The clearest example we have of this in scripture is King David, a teenager anointed king who would not receive the throne for more than 10 years, more than a decade of waiting for God's promises. But 1 Samuel records God's provision and protection and preparation during the wait. During the wait, we see David learned dependence on God, obedience to him, confidence in him. Psalm 25, verse four and five, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day, written by David. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord, written by David. All pinned during the waiting. God took a shepherd boy and molded him into a king and the wait was required by God. For us, we have 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. He doesn't give you busy work. He's not putting you on a treadmill. He's continuing to work and move in you and through you and around you in spite of what it looks like and there are blessings for you while you're waiting. Isaiah 40, 31 says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When I was growing up, that was a song we used to sing. We wait differently than the world. We wait with God and he sustains us. And when we get to the end, we're not exhausted. We are rested and strong and courageous and ready. The saying Jesus used may have been crumbs. Let's not get hung up on crumbs, all right? It was 12 baskets of crumbs. That's how big the blessings are. But when you are waiting, you continue to go to the Lord and you ask for what you need. With the promise of having our strength renewed while we wait, we have to understand we are going to have needs and God is strengthening your faith in him and he wants you to know that he knows what you need, but do you know what you need and do you know he's the source of it? So we have to ask him. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. You go to God with your needs, especially in the waiting. 
So Jesus responds, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. If you read this account in Matthew, uh, Matthew has Jesus' answer as being, oh woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as your wish and your daughter was healed. It seems a little bit confusing. Like Mark is saying, the woman um, was able to debate her way into getting uh, the healing, whereas Matthew is saying, oh no, no, it was her faith that got the healing. And what I want you to know is they're, they're the same thing. It's the same thing. Luke 6, 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. She has faith in Jesus. She knows who he is. She knows what he can do. And so she cannot help but speak what she believes in her heart. But I want you to see this encounter actually had a bigger impact than just the healing on her daughter. Our scripture shows us that Jesus leaves the region of Tyre and he goes to Decapolis. That should sound familiar. This is the, re the region where Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, healed the man who was possessed with the legion of demons. And then that man said, please let me come with you. And Jesus says, no, 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 you can't come with me. This man is a Gentile, so it's starting to like all make sense. He says, no, 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 you can't come with me, but go tell everyone about the mercy of the Lord. Amen. So here, Jesus goes into Decapolis and that man was a good evangelist because suddenly they're glad Jesus is there and they're bringing him their sick. And what I find really interesting, like in sort of a God irony kind of way, is there's a woman who just had spiritual hearing and then what does he do? He provides a physical healing to someone in their ears, physical healing of hearing. Oh, she heard, he's hearing, and they're all Gentiles. And I don't wanna like get too far ahead, but oh, by the way, in the next chapter, Jesus is going to... Um, do another miraculous feeding of 4,000 people and they're Gentiles. It's as if this woman has shown, has shown Jesus, hey, you can still bless us in the ministry. She had spiritual hearing. Jesus says, I'm gonna give you real hearing and he starts healing. I have to tell a story right quick. When I worked down at the, um, I used to work at the GM plant in Spring Hill, but when I worked there, it was the Saturn plant, and I had to take a hearing test. And if you've ever had a hearing test or not, you have to, you, you, they put headphones on you, and then you get in a little booth, and then they give you handheld like push buttons. And then the nurse or the administrator is outside of it, and she would send a little pulse into one side of the ear and you would push a button like, up oh, that side, boom, that side, boom. and that's, what you, that's how you would do it. And it starts out really easy. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's like the tiniest little thing. You're like, did I hear something? Or maybe it's this ear, or is my, are my ears ringing? Cause they've been putting things, like you don't really know. So you're just like pushing buttons at the end of it. You have no clue. So I get done with the hearing test and I come out and I sit down at the table and she gets my results and she sits down with me and she said, you have excellent hearing. And I cannot resist like a softball, like tossed at me like that. And so I said, what? <laughs> and she said, you have excellent hearing. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, you know, it went over her head and, and she didn't get it. I'm gonna let her off the hook. So I looked at her and I said, no, 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 it's a joke. And she goes, no, it's not a joke. You really have excellent hearing. I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, true. <laughs> 
So anyway, so I'm just saying, anyway, what I want you to understand is this woman actually was a catalyst for a shift in the ministry of Jesus. Because what he does after he encounters her is he goes to Gentile regions and he begins to offer miraculous signs to them. I'm not saying that he's offering them salvation, but I think he's saying, hey, I got a blessing for you too. And what I've come to love about this encounter with the Gentile woman of Tyre is that she pursues him, puts everything else aside, and says, I just need to get to, sa- to the Savior. The woman showed Jesus how to do what he longed to do and still stay within the mission from the Father. What the woman shows us is we can have an impact on the kingdom while we're waiting. We may know that the thing we're waiting for is out there, but that doesn't mean we can't do anything until then. God has placed opportunities for ministry in your path at every step of the way. You can encourage someone while you're waiting. You can serve someone while you're waiting. You can pray for someone while you're waiting. You can give generously while you're waiting. May we never allow the waiting time to prevent us from keeping a kingdom perspective. May we not just look after our own interests, but may we look to the interest of others. The people of Decapolis were astonished by the miraculous signs of Jesus. And they said to each other, you have, he has done all things well. I'll simply leave you with this. Jesus does all things well. And it may seem a little cliche to say his timing is perfect, but it is. And waiting is necessary, but he is inviting you into the journey, into the process. He's inviting you to know him more fully, walk with him more closely, and share love more deeply than you ever have before. I'll invite you to stand. May we all be encouraged by this woman from Tyre. May we see what she did and offer that same encouragement in our wait as we continue to build the kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for each person here. Thank you, Lord, for this scripture that shows us there are blessings when we do not have what we want. There are blessings from you at every step. I pray each person here would recognize their need and see you, Jesus, as the source. I thank you, Lord, for giving us Jesus. And I pray, Lord, we would all keep a kingdom perspective as we wait for you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. It is in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have a wonderful day.